0: It's 11 minutes before the hour. You're listening to Raven Radio, KCAW Sitka. Today is Thursday, March 3rd, 2022. I'm Erin Fulton with Raven News. Sitka reported 10 new coronavirus cases between Monday and Tuesday, according to data from the Department of Health and Social Services. The new cases bring the city's seven-day rate to 35. Under new CDC guidance effective on March 1st, Sitka is in medium alert and there is no mask mandate in effect transition into low alert, Sitka's 7-day infection rate must drop to 17 or below, and hospitalizations must also remain low. Currently, four cases are associated with the Sitka School District buildings. Masking became optional in Sitka schools on March 1st. A prominent culture bearer in southeast Alaska has passed. Dasdia Ethel Makinen died in Sitka in February at the age of 90. KCAW's Robert Woolsey reports.
1: It is hard to overstate the significance of the loss of Dazdia Ethel Mackinnon. She was a lifetime Sitkin and elder of the Raven Coho clan, and one of only twenty remaining fluent speakers of the Hlingit language. Dazdia survived two husbands and raised her six children as a single mom with exceptional grace and humor. Her commitment to culture and language preservation was extraordinary, according to an obituary published by the Sea Alaska Heritage Institute. Dasdia was instrumental to the development of the Sitka Native Education Program and the Gajahin Dancers and worked with both programs so long that she retired a few times. She was nothing if not realistic. Dasdia understood the barriers to mastering Hlingit, but she also knew that its study carried great cultural benefits. She made the point to the Sitka Tribal Council in 2014.
0: I feel that Our our language, our way of life, uh, everything's important. And we need the young people to know our culture. Maybe they'll never catch on to be fluent speakers, but they'll know about the culture.
1: Neither was Dazdiak content to stand by while the language came under threat. Two years earlier, in 2012, a New Zealand scholar published what purported to be a definitive word encyclopedia, a flingit. The volume was inaccurate on so many levels that it bordered on nonsense. The author later traveled to Sitka, where she was politely but thoroughly discredited by Dasdiya and the other language teachers in the SNEP program. Dasdiya Ethel Makinen was born in Sitka on September 20, 1931 the fifth child of culture bearers Annie and Charlie Joseph Sr., she died on February 19, 2022, in her daughter Lillian Young's home in Sitka. She was 90 years old. Reporting in Sitka, I'm Robert Wolsey.
0: You can find a link to the extensive biography of Dazdiya Ethel Makinen from the Sea Alaska Heritage Institute on our website, kcaw.org. The Alaska Native Sisterhood will hold a memorial and cultural service at 6 p.m. today at the Shikikwan Nakahiti. A funeral will be held at St. Michael's Orthodox Cathedral at 11 a.m. on Friday, March 4th, followed by a burial service at Sitka National Cemetery. A reception at the Alaska Native Brotherhood Founders Hall is scheduled afterwards. Guests are welcome to bring a salad or dessert to share. In honor of Black History Month, KCAW's Tosh Kimmel has spoken with Black Sitkins over the last couple weeks to better understand what the Black experience looks like in a small Alaska town. For the fifth and final installment of Black in Sitka, she spoke with Kenyan exchange student Sharon Shaban.
2: My name is Sharon Nema uh, Shaban. I'm an exchange student from Kenya, the coast part of Kenya. I am in Sitka
3: High. I'm in 11th grade. Had you ever been to the States before?
2: No, this was my first time. It was hard to like think I'm going to leave everyone behind and I'll be traveling on my own and stuff. But it's fun.
3: Like I get to see everyone and people are so welcoming and so kind. Is this like an exchange program or tell me how you were selected to come?
2: Actually, it was just my friend got a link and she was like,
3: oh, you want to try
2: this out? It's about exchange and stuff you get to go to the U.S. for some time. And I'm like, okay. I tried it as a joke. And then I got a a notification on my email with forms I'm supposed to fill in. And
3: I was like, oh, this was something serious. Did you know anything about Alaska? Or had you heard about what Alaska was like before you came here? Um, Not really. I just watched some kids' shows and...
2: Something happens, and they have to go to Alaska, and it's so freezing cold.
3: Obviously, that we don't have a big black population in Sitka.
2: Oh, yeah, that's true. Was
3: um, <laughs> was that something that you noticed when you got here?
2: Oh, yeah. I thought it would be worse, actually.
3: Did you think you'd be the only one?
2: Yeah, it was kind of scary. Yeah. But then, yeah, we're like three of us in school. Oh, okay.
3: Yeah. Three exchange students or just three black people? Oh, three black people in school. (laughs) Oh, wow. That's not many. Um, What has it been like being in a predominantly white community?
2: Well, sometimes some people really are not that kind to you. And then you, like, you sort of understand the way they think about you. But then sometimes it's frustrating when someone is treating you and looking at you in a weird way. But then... You kind of get used to it and you tolerate them because
3: there's nothing else you can do about it. I guess being an American, like being a black person in America, you think about your identity as a black person a lot. It's very political.
2: Um, Yeah, that's true.
3: (laughs) And so I just wonder, like, like if that's something you thought about in Kenya or like now coming to the U.S., have you had to kind of like think about your blackness more?
2: Well, sometimes. Yeah. Sometimes I look at myself. But then, you know, when you see other people from other countries, and I'm like, okay, if this person is surviving, well, I can also survive. But then, even if they're from other countries, most of them are not as dark as me. So I'm like, okay,
3: I will get used to this. If you are explaining what it's like to be... A Kenyan in Sitka or black in Alaska to your like schoolmates in Kenya, what would you say? I'll say that
2: you might not like everything that people say. You might not understand what people say at some points. But then when you get to know the people better, you get used to it. And sometimes you feel like you're part of them, even if you look different. Yeah, some of them are just so kind. And then if, if something is so hard, you just like you think positive. That's actually something I have been working on, thinking positive and, you know, like, even if it doesn't go as it's it was supposed to go, you just know there's something good's coming.
0: That was Sharon Shaban speaking with reporter Tosh Kimmel for KCAW's series Black in Sitka. The state of Alaska received nearly $100 million federal dollars last year to support the ailing child care system. It now has a plan to spend that money. Claire Stremple reports for KTOO. The Gold Creek Child Development
4: Center in Juneau was operating at half capacity, even though it had more than 100 kids on its wait list. That's because it struggled to hire and keep teachers. But after an infusion of aid money from state programs, Director Amanda Gornick says things have turned around. Um, We're expecting to be at uh, full capacity, um, staff-wise, and um, we're starting to increase our numbers as well in students. Last year, the state's Child Care Assistance Program distributed only about 5% of the federal funds in its first round of grants. Now it has a plan for the rest of the money, and half of it, just over $45 million, is slated to go directly to child care providers like Gornick. She's applied for another grant and says the first is already impactful. We will have a total of 15 staff members inside our facility. So we've almost doubled. That means she can enroll kids from the waiting list. So her classrooms are filling up. And she says more staff members is better for everyone. Kids can feel everything that when a staff member comes in and they're stressed and and overworked, the kids feel it. Having more staff um, to be able to handle the work, decrease the stress, um, our students are happier and feeling less stressed as well. The first influx of money hasn't solved every child care center's hiring woes. Up the road at Little Eagles and Raven's Nest Child Care, Administrator Jamie Shanley says she made a much-needed hire in January. But she still needs more staff. Um, The applicant pool is very small or non-existent. She applied for $30,000 in relief money from the state program last week. Shanley says the child care market has been broken for a long time. Centers have to choose between paying low wages or charging parents more than they can afford. We need reliable money. We need to know how much it's going to be every month. You know, something that's going to be long-lasting. State Administrator Christina Holquist says that long-lasting piece is what took time for the department to figure out. Direct assistance will continue through October of this year. The agency is also investing millions in programs to ease financial strain on families and care centers. And now it's just about getting all of those different um, strategies stood up. You know, from some some of them are brand new programs. They take a little bit longer, but um, it's nice to have a vision, and I feel great about the decisions we've made so far. The good feeling is echoed by early childhood education boosters in Juno. Blue Scheibler runs a nonprofit that promotes early childhood education. She says the only criticism she's heard from providers is that they'd like to get the grant money faster.
3: The state, I do think, is doing their best in getting them out equitably and as fast as they possibly can.
4: The state has begun sending out checks for a second phase of grant funding to child care centers. Those applications will be open until June 1st.
0: Reporting in Juneau, I'm Claire Strumpel. I'm Erin Fulton, and this has been Raven News.